more people could come to know the Lord, so more Christians could be encouraged in their Christian walk. And for me, the whole experience was a breath of fresh air. But I met some others while in Papua New Guinea that didn't know Jesus Christ. And the hope and enthusiasm that I had seen in the lives of those that knew Jesus, it was noticeably absent in the lives of those that had yet to meet Christ. The unbelievers seemed in general to just simply exist, passing the time. A trip down virtually any thoroughfare in the the capital city there, Port Moresby, you'd, you'd see people just kind of hanging out. No real sense of purpose, no direction, no drive, we might say. There was a palpable absence of joy and and purpose, and I think the most pronounced was just hope. They were missing hope of any kind. Papua New Guinea is a beautiful nation. It's, It's rich in natural resources, but it's still a nation that when we observe the world, we would consider it a third world nation. Uh, It's rampant with poverty, HIV, AIDS, substance abuse, violence litters the landscape. Lifespans are tragically short. The lack of a viable economic system would give us the idea that this will be a generational problem. There's, There's not much reason for those that don't know Christ to have great hope that their lives will amount to much or that something good will happen. And and so I see this, this very divergent view among those that I met. Some were enthusiastic, some were joy-filled, some had purpose, some came together and worked together. They had a reason to get out of bed every day. They had something big to get done because they knew Jesus and wanted others to know Jesus. And, and then I met some that looked at a world that, that said your lifespan will be very short because of where you're living and your economic opportunities will be exceedingly limited and, and violence is all around you, not much of a reason to hope. And that contrast stuck with me. We could wonder, why would one nation have such a divergent way of looking at life? And the answer is found in faith or the lack thereof. And of course, this isn't unique to Papua New Guinea. It's seen everywhere. And for whatever the reason, the Lord really allowed me to to see that in my time there. People of faith know the Lord. And if you know the Lord, you know hope. For Jesus is our blessed hope. And it just changes the way we look at life. And for those that don't know Jesus, they, they, they oftentimes miss that, that people of faith have by way of the new birth. When we know the Lord, we learn there are no hopeless situations, there are no hopeless circumstances, there are no hopeless people. It changes everything. And I believe that's a message the world needs today. And I believe that's a reminder that people of faith need today. And we have a passage before us that really reveals how things change when you know the Lord. And if you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to the text of Scripture before us today. Mark chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 40. Mark chapter 1 and verse 40. The Bible says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, and saith unto him, I will, be thou clean. I'm going to read on, but it was of interest to me that the Bible notes out that Jesus was moved with compassion. I've had many times in my life, I've had compassion for a moment. I was touched by compassion, but not to the point of being moved into action. 
I had a fleeting sense of what we might call sympathy, but didn't actually act on what I was feeling to relieve the burden of the one I was observing. I'm grateful that we find in Jesus someone who is moved by, by compassion. So Jesus was moved to action, verse 42. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and and he was cleansed. So we see now that Jesus touches this one, but it was as soon as Jesus spoke that the leprosy was removed. Verse 43, And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away. And he saith unto him, See thou, say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more, op- uh, no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places that came to him from every quarter. We find the Lord told this man, essentially, don't say anything about what's happened in your life. And the Bible says he blazed it abroad. And the word picture there is just what you'd imagine, a wildfire is growing like crazy. Because of that, the Bible says Jesus had to had to leave where he was. But I want us to go to the end of verse 40 to find what I believe is a central thought in our text. The last three words of this verse say this. Make me clean. And I want us to think of this today. Make me clean. Our Father, we are so grateful to come to you in prayer knowing that you not only hear prayer, but you have compassion for our situation and you are moved by that compassion to intervene in our lives. We're grateful that you're a good God. And Lord, we need you today as we study your word. I pray that you'd open our our spiritual eyes so that we can discern the truths before us. Be pleased in our time today. And we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When I was growing up, our family moved quite a bit. We moved a lot within the state of California from city to city and home to home. And for a time, our family lived in South Korea and the capital city there of Seoul. And and I was grateful for the experiences and the opportunities that came around with moving quite a bit. And I was glad to make friends in the various places. But my favorite years and my growing up years were the later years where we spent all of our time in just one house. I I enjoyed being in one place and getting to know the neighbors and and feeling comfortable there. I've always been what some would call a homebody. I don't know what all you think of when you hear that expression, but I've always been, since I was a little guy, someone that just enjoyed family and enjoyed being at home. And and I remember even as a little boy when the guys would get together and we begin to commiserate about how we could have a sleepover and find ways to get in trouble, I always was hopeful that it would be held at our home. I just enjoyed being home. I don't know that I was a mama's boy. I might have been, all right, probably was. But I just loved the thought of being in a place where I knew I was secure, I knew that I was loved, and, and I've always enjoyed home. The years have gone by, but I still find that I'm quite a homebody, all right? Uh, If it weren't for Lisa lighting dynamite beneath me from time to time, I'd spend all my time there. I enjoy being at home, and it's not just because I love my house. I do. But the way it works is the people I care most about in all of the world happen to live at my house, too. And quite often when I'm home, they are. And so I'm in this place of safety and security with people I love, and, and I enjoy that very much. When I when I cross the moat of my driveway and lower the drawbridge of my garage door and go in my three-bedroom, two-bath castle, I just like to be there. I enjoy it. I feel comfortable. There's no place like home. But the reality is you have to leave home sometimes. Now, I leave home every day for one reason or another. I'll 
leave home, for example, to, to come to the church offices for work or to go get things done. And rarely do I leave without saying goodbye. Then there are other times where I have to leave for a little longer period of time. Maybe I, I'll be gone for a whole day or for a few days. Perhaps it's a missions trip like in Papua New Guinea or, or something like that where I'll be gone for maybe a couple weeks. And, and uh, I won't leave for a brief period of time without at least saying goodbye. But, but when I have those opportunities to be gone for a longer period of time, I'm going to want to give everyone there a hug. I'm going to want to let them know I love them. And, and uh, I'll have a little more to do, so to speak, about leaving. But I want, I want you to imagine, what if I got word I was leaving home one day to never return? And I think that the response to that would be a little more emphatic. I think the hugs would mean a little bit more. The time saying goodbye would mean a little bit more. And we meet a man in our text today who had his last day at home. He had that day in his life where he had to say goodbye. And it wasn't that he wanted to. It wasn't that he stopped loving or caring for his family. It's that something had come into his life that brought about a need for a separation. And, and that thing that came into his life, it started probably as just a dry patch of skin that grew and then turned to a couple dry patches of skin. And then the most frightening news anyone could hear, he heard. He had leprosy. The physical effects of leprosy are nearly unimaginable for us. And, and as I began to do a little research into what leprosy was all about, I, I discovered there are a variety of times. But in general, uh, people that study leprosy tell us that it is something that involves the gradual loss of power and vivacity, obscure pains in the limbs and joints, feverish attacks, la loss of appetite, discolored blotches, especially all over the back. As a rule, the eyebrows fall out and the eyes become staring in appearance through scarring about the eyelids. The voice is often hoarse and breathing loud and wheezing through ulceration of the vocal cords. The hands and feet, sometimes the first to suffer, always in time become ulcerated. The disease from first to last has an average duration of nine years if it runs its full course and is not terminated, as is usual, by the onset of tuberculosis. It leads to gradual mental decay, coma, and death. Imagine getting that diagnosis and knowing that the rest of your life would be spent dealing with these types of things. But I, I think one of the greatest afflictions that accompanied leprosy was the fact that if you were diagnosed, you had to leave your family. You had to leave your home. You had to leave your community. Very important in the life of a Jewish person, as was the case in this text, would be leaving the synagogue where you would worship. And living really in isolation with other lepers, perhaps in a place they call a leper colony, but, but living a life really isolated, knowing you never again would hug or touch your family. And if ever there was a diagnosis that brought hopelessness, this was it. It was the worst news that, that someone could have heard in this day. But we find that this man determined to go to the only person he could think to go in a time that he perceived to be hopeless. He, he thought, you know, I have no hope. The diagnosis is in. It's, it's going to be a tough road for me. But maybe, just maybe, if I could get to Jesus, he could change things for me. And so he broke all the rules of the day. Lepers weren't supposed to go into crowds. In fact, if anyone came near a leper, he was to cover his mouth and yell, unclean. He was to say that so people would stay away. But, but this man said, forget the rules. I've got no hope anyhow. What are they going to do to me? I've already got basically a death sentence. And so he goes into the presence of Jesus Christ. And basically, he comes to Jesus and he asks to be made clean. He had no right to be there in the presence of Jesus. But because of grace, he got an audience with the servant king, Jesus Christ. 
As we look to this text today, I want us to consider a few thoughts I think can encourage us. As we look here, first we'll see the request. And as your notes there that have been prepared before you, or before you rather, I want you to take note of this, the request. I'm sure you can relate to a time in your life when you needed something from somebody. And before you ask them, typically you'll think, how exactly will I approach this person? How will I explain my need? And I have no doubt that this man spent some time thinking, what am I going to say to Jesus when I meet him? But I also know the emotion would have been raw and the expectation on his part would have been ever increasing. And so he comes to Jesus and we see in his approach something that will help all of us. Listen, this man shares with all of us today how our approach to Christ can lead to the breakthroughs that we need. And we find in the approach in this man, first of all, a really good attitude. Let's consider his attitude. The Bible says this, there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him. And that's a powerful statement. The word beseech there means to beg for urgently or anxiously, to request earnestly. So this was a humble approach. It represented an attitude of humility before the Lord. He didn't come to the Lord uh, demanding. He didn't come to the Lord accusing. He didn't come to the Lord even complaining. He, He came with a good attitude. And I'm afraid so often that our view of Jesus Christ is so diminished that we many times come to God acting as though He owes us one. Now, I believe that collectively we we live in such a world that clamors based on their entitlement type of a philosophy to life. Everybody owes me something is the mindset. The city owes me something. Sacramento owes me something. The federal government owes me something. And so many perceive themselves to be a victim in general in life that we go through life with the attitude that says, my name's Jimmy, gimme, 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 just keep it coming, meet my needs. And if we're not careful, we'll take that approach to God. And we'll actually have an attitude that says, God, you owe me something. That's not the attitude at all that this man brought to Jesus Christ. He was was appropriately humble. He was reverential to the Lord. So we see his attitude, but we have to see his acceptance as well. For the Bible tells us that when he came to Jesus, he said this. He said, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. He said, Lord, if you will... If you will, in other words, he was saying when he came to the Lord that he had a request and the outcome would be based on the will of God. And that's how we're to bring our request to God. We need to predetermine to accept how God handles the need that we bring to him. Jesus, in the model prayer that we studied not too long ago, shared this thought with us. In Matthew 6, the Bible says, And after this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Our prayer is is this, Lord, we need you, and we need your touch, and we need your input, and we need your influence. Lord, we we need you, but we, we are coming praying, asking for your will to be accomplished Here's the need, and we'll trust you to respond in the way you see fit. That's how Jesus prayed as well. The Bible says he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, and Jesus prayed this way, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Listen, friends, when we bring those hopeless occasions to Jesus, and we receive the hope that only He can give, we will find the great value in leaving the issue with Him and saying basically this, Lord, here's my my burden, here's the issue, here's the need, and I trust Your judgment. 
You do what you think's best. I'm bringing it to you. I, I have no hope handling this on my own. So, Lord, I'm bringing it to you, and I want you to know in advance, I'm accepting your determination in this. I'll accept your will. It just honors God when we trust His judgment in that way. And so this man came, and we see his attitude and his acceptance, but then we find his admission. The final words that he says are this, Thou canst make me clean. His admission was that God and God alone could take care of his problem. And it's always a good thing just to admit to God right up front that apart from his work in our lives, nothing of value will be accomplished. Saying, God, I need you. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a need like that in your life where you felt it was literally a life or death. But we all have needs. And it's imperative for us if we're going to grow spiritually to understand that we need to come to the Lord and confess to the Lord, Lord, this will only happen by your power, not my own. I got home the other day and I was starving and I did what I like to do so often. I went to the pantry and just opened the door and just stood there, you know. And it's half therapy and half I'm looking for something to eat. And I just like to look in there, you know. And Nothing seemed to grab me. Have you ever been starving? You look at a pantry full of food, but there's still nothing to eat, you know. So then I opened the fridge and I did a little looking in there. Same thing, bunch of stuff. But none, I mean, you know, none of it looked real good to me. So from my place there in the kitchen, my wife was in the bedroom. I, I, I yelled out to her, you know. Honey, I'm starving. Can you help me find something to eat? And so she's in the bedroom. I'm in the kitchen now, you know. So she starts shouting out suggestions, you know. And one by one, I'm shooting her ideas down. No, I don't, no, I don't want that. And, and uh, we're going back and forth. And finally, I just said, can you just come in here and help me? I'm not going to find anything without your help. Now, that's pathetic right there, all right? That's pathetic. But when I said that, Lisa did what she had not done before that point. I was shouting out complaints. I was telling her what it was I wanted her to do, but it wasn't until I said, listen, unless you come in here, I'm not going to get the help I need. It wasn't until I said that that she came out. Listen, friends, when we come to God with a humble attitude and an honoring acceptance and an honest admission of our need for Him, we'll find that God will do what never would have been done with us just hurling, hurling complaints His way we'll find that God responds to the heart of those that say, Lord, I need you. This cannot be done without you. That man showed great wisdom in his approach to Christ and the request that was made. And we, we observed his request, but let us consider now the result. What happened when, when all of this was taking place? Well, the process, uh, it, it didn't just touch, touch the heart of Jesus Christ, it moved him. The man said to Jesus, if you'll recall, if you will, Jesus responds, I will. If you will, Lord, and Jesus says, I will, I'll meet your need. And, and so we see the Lord working as the result was coming to fruition. The Bible says Jesus touched him. And by asking to be made clean, this man was basically saying, I'm a, I'm a mess. I'm defiled. I'm dirty. Lord, will you make me clean? Because I can't clean myself. I need your help. And Jesus touched him. Now, I don't know how long it had been for this man. It could have been weeks or months or probably years since he'd been touched. And the Bible says that Jesus, God the Son, touches this man. 
Now, if anyone else would have touched him, they would have been afraid, man, he's going to get germs on me. He's going to get his disease on me. It's, it's going to be terrible. If, if, if anybody touched him, they would have been worried about his negative effects coming onto them. But Jesus, since he is God the Son, and he is perfect, and he is holy, and he is blameless, and he is spotless, he is so great that when he touches anybody, no matter how messed up they are, their mess doesn't get on him, but his goodness gets on them. He wasn't worried about getting whatever that man had. He knew that through his touch, he could change a life. You see, Jesus can change people and families and churches, and we're never worse off for his touch. And the Bible says that instantly at the spoken word of Christ, this man was completely made whole. His leprosy was gone. His his day started and he was lost in his condition. He was as hopeless as he could be. And when the day was done, he had a new beginning in life. His future was secured once again and he found his hope through the ministry of the servant king, Jesus Christ. Students of the Bible are quick to find the parallels between leprosy and sin. And I want us to think of this because we're going to see why, why did Jesus allow this event to happen at this moment in time? There's a great parallel. Like leprosy, sin starts within. It grows. It consumes. It defiles. It brings separation. It robs us of hope. We know that our sin comes from within. We're born that way. We're all born... Imperfect. The Bible says that, that there's none of us that are righteous. We, we know that sin, it, it takes over our lives and it brings a separation between us and a holy God. Listen, if God in all His holiness would let us bring our defilement into His presence, His presence would no longer be perfect. And so there's a separation. Like leprosy, sin brings a separation. We see that our sin prevents us from knowing God but the Bible is clear that we can be made clean through Jesus. When Jesus healed people in the New Testament, the Bible sometimes would say he healed them or he touched them or you would just see the evidence of a changed life. But in the couple instances in the New Testament where we find Jesus healing lepers, there's a word that is used in each case. The Bible says that he cleansed them. And if you see the parallel between leprosy and sin, I think you've got a great picture here. Because of our sin, we have a need to be cleansed. And the Bible makes it clear that that cleansing comes from the Lord. Think of the way David prayed in Psalm 51.7. The Bible says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. When David sinned, he went to God and he said, Lord, I need to be cleansed. Upon this miraculous cleansing, we find Jesus do something that seems strange. He said to the man, I want you to tell nobody. I want you to go and show yourself to the priest. And he said, I want you to do so according to the commands of Moses. The Bible in the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 14 shares with us the commands of Moses, how someone who had allegedly been healed of leprosy was to be treated so that it could be verified. And it's a detailed process. It took over a week, as a matter of fact. There were seven full days. It wasn't until the eighth day that someone could, could be cleared of this disease. And, and the Bible tells us in Leviticus 14 of this whole process. But there was a part of the process where a beautiful picture takes place. As they went through this, the priests would get two birds. 
And he would kill one bird and pour the blood of that bird on another bird while it's underwater. Now keep in mind, you say, well, why would anyone do that? Obviously, there was a pitcher in it all. And the pitcher is one bird giving its life. The blood going on another bird while it's under the water being cleansed. And all of that is a picture of Jesus Christ and what he does for us. We bring our sin to him. We bring our defilement to him. And because of the shedding of his blood, we can be made clean. We don't have to pay for the penalty of our sins for all of eternity. We can come to Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, whose blood was shed on our behalf. On Hebrews 9.22, we read this, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. And I want you to know, had this man gone to just what we would call a religion, he might have been given a code of conduct to keep. He might have been told to join a church or get baptized or give an offering or do any number of things. But when he came to Jesus, Jesus said, I'll take care of that. It's not by works, it's through faith, believing in me. Jesus did the work. Listen, friends, when we come to Jesus, we'll find that he'll meet the need for salvation spiritually. And as we grow in our life, we'll find that he'll give us the wisdom we need to get through those times that so often appear to us to be hopeless. He'll minister to us. We continue looking to this text. The final element we need to see today is the reaction to it all. It's interesting to see how this responds. Jesus had just cleansed this man. And as I looked at this text, I wondered, why did Jesus do this? If you'll recollect in our last study, Jesus just told the disciples, they came to him and said, Lord, hey, the people are all lined up, man. Let's do, let's do some more miracles here. And Jesus said, no, let's not. In fact, Jesus said, let's leave this place. I didn't come to perform miracles. I came to preach. And then we read it right away. He's doing another miracle. Did it ever dawn on you that the greatest analogy or parallel from a miracle to the gospel message is found in what Jesus did in the life of this man? He said, you find in all of this the elements of salvation. He was preaching a message through this, this work. And, and so Jesus said at the conclusion of all this, don't, don't tell anybody. Go to the priest. Keep quiet. Don't say a word. But in Mark one in the final verse, verse 45, the response here is this. He went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places. And they came to him from every quarter. In a strange twist, we find that this man did exactly the opposite of what Jesus said. Now, that surprised me for a couple reasons. I think, first of all, the reason that surprised me is I spend so much of my time trying to convince people of faith to share with others what the Lord has done for them. It just seems counterintuitive for me to tell anybody, hey, don't tell, don't tell people what Jesus did for you. It seems like everybody should know. And so it seems strange for that reason. But, but, but also, as we look to this text, we, we see it seems a little unusual that someone whose life has just been touched by Jesus Christ, he's been saved, would not obey the Lord. It seems like if someone knew they were saved by by the sacrifice of Christ, they would, they would want to be quick to serve Him and follow Him. I want you to know that Jesus, He didn't operate the way we often think. You see, like the so-called faith healers of our day, Jesus wasn't seeking to build a crowd through these miraculous events. He built it on the message, on the truth. 
Jesus wasn't doing card tricks or sleight of hand. He, he wasn't trying to do novel things just to get people to come. It was, it was evident that Jesus was doing what he did to get the work uh, of the ministry going so the message of the gospel would be clear. And as this man went out and just couldn't, just couldn't be quiet, he just couldn't keep it to himself, he begins to tell everybody what happens is this, the work of God is, is prevented. Jesus has to leave where he is. He has to go to desert places. And I believe this was all in keeping with the plan of God, but we see one person, because of what they said at the wrong time, in the wrong way, prevented others in that place from hearing. Friends, I believe there's a truth in all of this that shares with us we need to be cautious with our witness. I find it ironic that this man couldn't couldn't uh, stop talking. He was told to be quiet. He wouldn't stop talking. And we're told to tell others about Jesus to talk. And many times we're, we're silent. We need to be so cautious that we're following the leading of the Spirit of God, that we're being obedient. And, and the Lord told this man, for a time, I need you to be quiet. I don't know all the reasons for that. It could be he wanted the priest there in Jerusalem to know how powerful he was. Maybe he wanted the priestly validation on that miracle so when the man testified it would have more credence. I, I can't know all the reasons for why Jesus did what he did, but we find that this man needed to follow the leadership of God and we need to do the same. And when the Lord compels us to be a witness, we need to do so. And we need to do so with great wisdom. What a shame it would be if we, like this man, said something about Christ that reflected negatively on him. We need to follow the Lord and do nothing that would prohibit others. Every now and then our passion can get the best of us. And instead of sharing the truth in love, we're just sharing the truth. Or maybe we're hurling the truth. From time to time, people have come to me and said, Pastor, I've got family members that aren't saved. And I think all of us could say that. Sometimes we can get more combative than compassionate. Pastor, I've been working on my coworker, and what we mean by working on him is we're just beating him every day. <laughs> you know, we're just trying to take the truth and use it like a great big club. And, and listen, I'm not saying to, to spare on our gospel witness, but I do find a great lesson here that we need to be careful to follow the leading of God and how we say what we say and when we say what we say. Speaking of children, Jesus said, Whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. It's quite a statement. Jesus says, man, you don't want to do anything to prohibit someone from coming to me. You'd be better off just having a big rock tied around you and, and thrown in the ocean. Don't, don't stand in between me and, and those coming to me, Jesus says. Those times and occasions that seem hopeless come to all of our lives. And when they do, we need to go to Jesus as this man did. We need to go to the Lord. And we need to take the approach that he took. He had a humble attitude and an honoring acceptance and an honest admission. And we're to trust him and serve him and obey him. And as we do, we'll find not only that Jesus Christ can save those who come to him in faith, we'll find that Jesus then can use our lives to help communicate to others that there is a reason and a purpose and there is hope. You know, Papua New Guinea isn't the only place you find hopeless people. We see them everywhere we go. They live on our streets, in our neighborhoods. And today, if we know the Lord, we need to find a great truth that we need to make sure that others that have yet to have that leprosy, that sin dealt with, that they can come to Christ. And that because of what He did for us on the cross, we can be saved forever. 
You know, I can't imagine that any of us here today, I wouldn't think that any of us here today could come to any five verses in the Bible and read them and say, you know what? I, I don't need those five. Those five aren't for me. Those five are for others, not me. I, I can't imagine any of us today could look to these verses and, and walk away from them saying, yeah, there's, there's nothing in there for me. Because the fact is, there's something in, in a passage like this for everybody. The question today is, what is in this study for you? What is it that God used in this to touch your heart, to use to draw you to himself? And I hope you'll follow his leading. Our Father, thank you for this time of study, for this other opportunity we have to, to come and learn and grow. Lord, I pray that as we look to this text, we'll now let it turn inward and do its work on our hearts. May we listen to you as you, as you speak through your spirit. I pray that Christians would be strengthened and I pray that questions would be answered. We need your help, dear Lord. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed today. And